This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Well, welcome to the Saving Grace podcast. My name is Simon Eastwick. I'm your host this week. And uh, this is the second week that we have the privilege of having Dr. Charlie Bing with us. And uh, during a break between uh, some recording sessions, we were talking about another book that uh, Dr. Charlie Bing uh, actually wrote. And you were you told me about that. What was the title of that one? The title of that book is Simply by Grace. And it's an introduction to what grace is all about and what it means. And it takes you from the meaning of grace to the meaning in salvation and to uh, eternal security, assurance, and Christian life, and even how to share the gospel of grace with other people. So it's a shorter book. It's, it's been very well received, and people like to even buy it in multiple copies and hand it out. It's, it's, it's been that useful to them. Okay. Well, we'll make, we'll make that title and uh, how you can get that available in the podcast notes. Uh, we are very encouraged, uh, Charlie, as we, as we have uh, had these podcasts out there now, how many people are listening to them, how many are downloading them, and how many are sharing them with uh, their friends, their neighbors, uh, people that they believe just desperately need to hear about grace. Just as a quick recap, last time we were together, we were talking about what you call A truth and B truth. And uh, we were walking through that list of items that people sort of need to have in their head, an approach, if you will, a lens from which to look at the gospel. Uh, You call it A truth, B truth distinction. And in the A truth column, um, we were putting things like salvation, justification, spiritual birth, relationship with God, and the gift as those things being on the on that salvation side. And then on, on the B-truth side, we were talking about things such as discipleship, sanctification, spiritual growth, fellowship with God and the prize. And we started to go into this whole thing of what happens if you look at a text through the wrong lens? What happens if you take a scripture... And instead of understanding it correctly as it being a salvation uh, message or, or, or text, you look at it as being a discipleship one or vice versa. What, what does that do um, to, to your interpretation? And then you, you mentioned things last time about the fact that this key concept of distinctions and how we need to make sure that we're drawing the right, drawing the right conclusions through understanding this, and the fact that we have theological bias, we have sort of traditional assumptions, we have sometimes uh, uh, the wrong way or a poor way of studying the Bible, and you talked about Bible study methods and the importance of the the three key things, and I remember them from memory, uh, which is going to amaze the audience. Um, Context, context, and context. That's right. (laughs) And uh, that's that's great. So um, that's sort of the backdrop of, of what we were talking about, and you were giving an example as we wrapped up last uh, episode about um, sort of what happens when, when you get things corrupted around, uh, you know, you can get into lordship salvation and different things when you, when you misinterpret. Yes, lordship salvation, we didn't explain the view, but it's the view that you must submit yourself or promise, uh, commit yourself to Jesus to be Lord or master of all of your life in order to be saved. Ah. And uh, of course, what we would say is that salvation is a free gift of God 
receive by believing in Jesus Christ. And by believing, we mean placing your faith in him or being convinced that he is your savior from sin and that he's died for your sins and he's risen from the dead. And so it's all what he has done. But Lordship Salvation is the view that I must submit myself, commit myself, surrender myself to Jesus as the master of my life in order to be saved. And of course, the problem with that view is that it is really an open-ended view. Who really is ever totally submitted, committed, surrendered to Jesus Christ? That's a daily task. And so that view has stolen assurance from many, many people. It's a big concern of mine. I also have a book called Lordship Salvation based on my doctoral work um, about that view itself. So just wanted to define that for the listeners because we didn't last time. Right. Absolutely. What about this whole concept of assurance of salvation, too? That's certainly something that you could look at Scripture and you could um, misread that or misunderstand that if if you didn't look at certain Scripture correctly. Yeah, the scriptures couldn't be clearer that whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. That's the assurance and that's the promise. The word assurance means certainty. Mm. Uh, the, The writers of scriptures were certain about their salvation. The writers of scripture were certain about... The, re- the reader's salvation based on their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. But, and that all of that is possible because we place our faith in somebody who has done all the work for us that we could never do for ourselves. So I like to say that we're saved by a life we could not live and by a death we could not die. Jesus did it all. And so when he died on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it's paid for. Right. Not a down payment. He made the total payment. But uh, assurance, then, uh, is given to us based on what he has done. The moment we shift our focus from Christ objectively outside of ourselves and his promise to inwardly what we and start questioning, well, did I have enough faith? Am I committed enough? Did I repent enough? Um, What kind of, you know, how much faith do I need? Um, Do I really believe this? The moment we shift and take our eyes off of Christ and put them on ourself. Am I living the right kind of life? Questions about our, my performance? We have to be cast into doubt. And any system that takes human performance and makes it a part of the gospel, I guarantee you, <laughs> does not promise and cannot promise you the absolute assurance of salvation that we see in the Scriptures. So, Charlie... Give me a sense, if you will, of what, what are some of the common distinctions around salvation and discipleship that seem to get confused the most? Yeah, there again, the A-truth, B-truth principle is that you learn to see these distinctions, but oftentimes we don't see the distinction, for example, if we were to draw another chart and make columns, uh, we don't see the distinction between salvation on the one hand and discipleship on the other hand. We mentioned this last time, that salvation, truth, is is having to do with our justification, being born again, getting saved. Discipleship truth is how we live our lives and obey Christ's command. Uh, So there are actually some people who teach that there are, um, every Christian is a disciple. Mm. Uh, But I think there's quite a distinction in the scriptures uh, between, because Jesus challenges like in John 8, uh, 30 to 32, he, he tells his disi- those who had believed in him, if you want to be my disciple, you must continue in my word. So he's talking to believers, but yet telling them how to become disciples. Right. So he, you, we see a distinction in a passage like that. 
So there's another distinction that's confused is faith in Christ and works for Christ. Uh, faith in Christ means we're trusting in Him and in what He did. Uh, works for Christ means that those are the things that we do in obedience to Him. And we sometimes fail to distinguish uh, what's required in each or the re- what's the result of each. The result of faith in Christ is salvation. The results of working for Christ is uh, rewards or His approval. Another distinction um, is, I think, that we often uh, confuse is the grace for eternal life and merit for eternal rewards. And again, we have to do a whole separate podcast to talk about eternal rewards, right? because it's such a wonderful subject and often neglected. But if you don't have a category for eternal rewards, there are so many passages that talk about uh, doing the right things and obeying God and being rewarded, Mm. or even the negative consequences, having your works burned up and things like that. And we can't make sense of those passages unless we understand that first, salvation is by grace and eternal life is absolutely free, but God holds his children accountable for the kind of life that they live. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12 are clear passages that tell us God will... Uh, reward us according to how we have lived our life, whether for good or for bad. And um, and he's not talking about salvation in those passages, so we should not con- uh, confuse them. Right. Uh, there's a often a confusion between law and grace. Uh, we sometimes we want to bring the Old Testament law into the New Testament, whereas Christ fulfilled the law, and um, we have now the law of Christ in the New Testament. We still have commands that we're asked to obey, but not in order to be saved. Um, The spirit of the law was more one of uh, condemnation and to show us that we could not keep the law and to lead us to Christ. But now that we know Christ, we have the law of love, the law of Christ, and by by living for him, uh, we don't determine our salvation, but we, uh, we show appreciation for what he's done for us. And so living under grace is quite a different motive than living under the law. Absolutely. We lived under the law in order to be blessed, but we live under grace because we are blessed. It's a different perspective. What a great distinction that is. Yeah. Uh, another another common distinction is uh, confusing the great white uh, throne judgment with this judgment seat of Christ. Let me explain. A lot of people collapse that into one judgment at the end of time, where people will be just judged for their salvation and if they did enough good works to prove they're saved, they'll go into eternity or the kingdom or into heaven. Uh, but if they didn't, they'll go into damnation and the lake of fire. Uh, but as I just said, there are there are, there is a judgment for Christians, and then the great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. In Revelation 20, it talks about all unbelievers will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. But the judgment seat of Christ appears in other passages addressed only to Christians. It's a judgment for an evaluation of their life and their works and their conduct. So if somebody doesn't understand the distinction between these two judgments, then it suddenly makes the judgment for our eternal salvation based on our works, because they're confusing the judgment seat of Christ with the great white throne judgment. So again, we're talking about this distinction between a relationship that is established by grace through faith and a relationship that is maintained by love and faithfulness and obedience to our Savior. It's, it is amazing, though, when you think about it, how if somebody looks at one of these areas and they 
interpret it or they, 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 they have a lack of insight into it, it can literally start a whole theological movement or it could start a, a whole misrepresentation of the real intent of Scripture. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's why I say the free grace movement is just a commitment to look at the Scriptures and let them speak for themselves. And that, that sounds a bit arrogant, I know. But we're not quoting Calvin to prove our point. We're not quoting Arminius to, quote, to prove our point. Um, that's why my book that I wrote, Grace, Salvation, Discipleship, I don't quote commentators on every verse. I'm trying to show people that they can look at the context themselves and distinguish between salvation and discipleship, A truth, B truth. And uh, that's why I purposely did not have commentators, because oftentimes we too quickly resort to commentators and theologians and our theological systems to understand a passage. Right. What about this whole concept of a relationship with Christ and then the fellowship side? How, how, do you, how, how would you talk about that as far as distinctions go? Yeah, the relationship is, is something that we did not have that we now have. We were dead mm. in trespasses and sins, uh, but Jesus said that you have to be born again. And, and Ephesians goes on in chapter 2 to say that we're saved by grace. Now, having been saved by grace, we become children of God. And um, children of God is a new relationship that we didn't have because we were at enmity with him. We were isolated from him. We were dead or separated from him in our sins. And now we're suddenly children of God. So there's a new relationship. But when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about a different word. Uh, The Greek word koinonia means to have something in common and Mm -hmm. to share something. And we talk about that in most Christian realms today. We say, let's get together for some fellowship. What we're talking about is let's as Christians get together and uh, talk about uh, Christian things or just enjoy one another's uh, faith that we have in common. Um, I ride a motorcycle, and when uh, you're riding a motorcycle down the road, um, and you pass another motorcycle, you usually give the a kind of a salute. It's not really a wave. You don't want to wave. That wouldn't be cool right. for a biker. <laughs> you just give a little salute with your two fingers out, um, and kind of a low, a low signal. And that's that just shows that the bikers on the road we have a kind of a fellowship together. Uh, we understand what, that we're enjoying the heck out of this ride. <laughs> that's <laughs> basically what that means. Uh-huh. And um, and so we recognize each other in that way. We have that in common. So what fellowship means in the Christian life is that we develop this relationship of intimacy now with our Father. Mm. I mean, a man can have a, a son but never know him. Right. And uh, but Or a man can spend a lot of time with that son. And then that fellowship can be broken if the son becomes rebellious. And the fellowship can be repaired by, by uh, confessing or admitting the wrong that the son did. And so the scriptures talk about confessing your sins and restoring that fellowship. First John is a book about having fellowship with God. Um, not establishing a relationship with God, but having fellowship with God. The Gospel of John, interestingly, it focuses on a truth, mm. establishing the relationship with God. The epistle of 1 John mainly talks about B-truth, establishing and keeping, maintaining that fellowship with God. Mm. So a different purpose by the same author. And if we get those, if we get those mixed up, uh, it, it can be catastrophic. Um, so th- that's a that's a, a great a great list of uh, of things for us to think about and to, to process. There's so much content here, Charlie. You're, you're making my head hurt, but that's good. <laughs> <laughs> now you know I felt. 
Uh, absolutely. But no, but it's, it is, it is, it's really, it's really good to think through these things because I, again, having sat down and spoken to so many different people who have, um, gone through some of the courses you've taught and read through your books and, and sort of thought about this, they say it just changes the way you look at scripture. And, and that's really what we're all about. We're about having people think, how, how should I approach Scripture? First of all, we really want to encourage them to be in Scripture, right? We want them, if they know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we really want to encourage believers to be digging into the Word of God. Um, without that, they're, they're, not, they're missing out on that insight that only they can learn from God through His Word. Um, prayer is important. But when they're in the Word of God, how, 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 do, how do they interpret that? And, and just, you know, your, your comments about context being so important and... Uh, about understanding how to think through whether it's in the sort of the A truth column or the B truth column, whether it's talking about salvation or it's talking about discipleship is is so important. Um, you know, one of the other areas I think you you sort of delved into a little bit in, in this seminar that I was watching uh, in preparation for our 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 podcasts here is you talked about some of the common words in Scripture that are often confused by people. Uh, words like salvation, discipleship, etc. If you'd kind of give us a little bit of insight into 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 what what some of those words are, and then also um, how how do how do we how do we sort of get the right definition of those? Yeah, this is a good question. It's another question that really deals with looking at the context to determine how a word is used. For example, when we when we see the word "saved" or "salvation" in the New Testament, many people will automatically jump to the idea of eternal salvation. Right. Whereas I think only about 36% of the time is the word used for eternal salvation. It's used for everything from being healed by a disease to being saved from drowning or saved from a shipwreck in Acts chapter 27. And uh, just like we use it in English today, we say, boy, you really saved my neck with the, by, by coming to help me um, you know, fix my house or something like that, or we save money. And we use the word save in many different ways. Well, the Greek language does that too. And how do we know how it's used? Is it used in a salvation con- context? Well, we have to look at the context hmm. and determine how the word is used. Um, the word death, sometimes when we read the word death, people automatically assume it's talking about eternal condemnation, when the sin unto death mentioned in James 5 and 1 John 5. But is death talking about physical death? I actually list seven different kinds of de- ways the word death is used in my book. I don't know if I can remember them all without looking at my book, but no. there's physical death, of course. Sure. But uh, but when when God said to Adam, uh, "Day of the in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die," they didn't drop dead physically. So we know that there's a different kind of death right. that would be spiritual death, separation from God. Right. I think there's also a spiritual deadness. Uh, we might see and use the word that way in Romans chapter six, uh, and then dead is sometimes used in the sense of useless, um, like Abraham's body was as good as dead in Hebrews 11, or faith is as good as dead in James chapter 2, which is often misinterpreted. He's not talking about a non-existent faith. He's talking about a useless faith that doesn't help people when they say that they need clothes and food. So those are a couple common words um, uh, that, that we find. So you've talked about sort of misinterpreted words and even sometimes passages. So I know you have a, a chart that sort of talks about how you really need to approach Scripture. Um, and I wondered if you'd go into that a little bit. 
you know, and you talk about context. Can you elaborate on that so we, people understand a little bit better? Yeah, I think when we're studying a passage of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, and it has to do with the gospel or discipleship, we're going to have to find out who wrote the book and why the book was written, who the book was written to. Mm. And I, I could use Hebrews as an example, because Hebrews is so often misunderstood, and the warnings there are taken usually, and, and this is how it is interpreted. Yes, the author is writing to believers, but then in the five warning passages, he's turning to unbelievers that are in the same church. Right. But when we study the context and the warnings, we see that he's addressing them as believers, mm-hmm. and he calls them that, and uh, there's, there's no grounds for taking them as unbelievers. The warnings are severe, yes, but he doesn't mention hell. Um, he does use the word fire, but the word fire is usually used for discipline of God's people in both the Old Testament and New Testament. So uh, that's one place where the context is very, very important. Or you look at a book like 1 John, and, and it has, you know, if, and those who know God, love their brother, and don't sin, and thing, things like this. Is he telling us how to t- test our salvation, or is he telling us how to test our whether we have fellowship with God? Well, if we look at the context in the book at the very beginning, he says, I write these things that you that we might have fellowship with one another and our fellowship with, with Jesus Christ. So he sets at the beginning of the book the purpose of the book, which is fellowship. And that should guide our thinking for the rest of the book. If we just jump to a passage that says, uh, you know, whoever doesn't love his brother is, is, is not of God, well, just if we isolate that verse, it sounds like he's saying, if you don't love your brother, you're not saved. Mm. Uh, but to be of God, I think he's talking about... You know, your actions are not sourced in God, showing that you don't have fellowship with God. And we know Christians cannot love their brother and sisters. So uh, the context in those two ver- passages of books are very important. James chapter 2 is often misunderstood because the context is neglected. Um, and what's interesting about James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, where he talks about uh, faith without works is dead, and uh, talks about being saved, the question is, well, being saved from what? Is he talking about being saved from hell? If we look at the context, we see that the the passage, chapter 2, verse 13, is talking about uh, being saved from a merciless judgment. Well, what judgment would face Christians? We already said that's the judgment seat of Christ. If we look at the other end, the book end, chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about teachers being judged for how they teach. Mm. So he's obviously talking to Christians. So in the passage in between, he must be talking to Christians about how they're going to be judged, in my opinion, at the judgment seat of Christ. And so they're not being saved from eternal hell in, in that controversial passage. They're being saved from a negative judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, is the way I interpret it. Or saved some other, from others would interpret it from some other negative consequence, but not eternal damnation, because it's just not in the context. So I love the chart that you have, and uh, you know it, it talks about, it says, keys to Bible study, and says, check the context, context. Uh, it says, uh, keys to Bible study, check the context. And it starts on the, on the outer ring of Testament, goes into the book, goes into the passage, and goes into the words. If I'm reading this correctly, I get the, the sense that you want to start at the very outside as far as the context goes, and then right down to the words themselves. Walk us through that a little bit. Well, of course, you have to know, beginning with uh, 
let's just start with the be, let's lay aside the linguistic context, the social context, the historical context, which is all important. Right. Let's just start with: Are we in the Old Testament or New Testament? Okay. So, is God talking to the Jews or to the church? That's a big distinction. Sure. Is He talking to people under the Mosaic Law or under Christ, who has fulfilled the law? Um, that's a big distinction to make, and people often neglect that. And then, having said that, if we're, for example, in the New Testament, what what is the context of the book? Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians, obviously. Uh, is he addressing Christians in the other books? John does us a favor by telling us in his gospel at the end in chapter 20, 31, that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have eternal life. So he tells us the purpose of his book is to bring unbelievers to faith. So we know that it, it had targeted unbelievers in large part, although there is some discipleship truth in John as well. And then we, then we take, knowing that, we take the passage, like a warning passage in Hebrews, and we say, well, he's writing to believers, so the warning must be to believers. And so let's, let's see what he's saying to the believers. And is he talking about burning in uh, the great white throne judgment, or is he talking about uh, some, some severe discipline at the judgment seat of Christ, or even in this life? Mm. Uh, so that helps you, and then you, then you look at the very words themselves. Uh, what does the word fire mean in these warning passages in Hebrews? Um, he, he only uses it once or twice in the whole book, and yet people uh, assume that hell is always the consequence of these warnings. Uh, what does it mean, um, you know, to press on to the full assurance of your faith? And we want to look for figures of speech. We want to look up and do some word studies, and what are the range of meanings for these words? Um, and so every word becomes important but always in the context of, uh, of uh, the paragraph, the book, the, the testament, and so forth. I think it's a, I think it's a great way to, to think about it. And as we, you know, it, this discussion to me has been, has been just fascinating. It's been very enlightening. And it really does make me think now about how I approach Scripture. It makes me think about how I will read um, you know the Word of God, and 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 what and where does it where does it fall? Where do I begin my my sort of uh, my journey with it with the passage of Scripture? Um, uh, Charlie, we got a couple of minutes left in this podcast. If somebody, if this is the first time somebody's ever really grappling with grace, what would you what would you tell them as far as what would your message be to them about about grace and considering it as we wrap up? Well, as one who's written a lot about grace, preached a lot about grace, I would say uh, it still amazes me, and I have only feel like I've scratched the surface of understanding how yeah. magnificent God's grace is. And we should not limit God's grace. Amen. Uh, it's, it's grace from beginning to end, from how we're saved to how we're kept saved to how we live the Christian life. It's all by His grace. And the more we can understand about grace, I think the clearer we will be in our gospel, the more joyful we will be in our life the more assured we will be of God's love, because it all comes from His love. Really, it starts with God's love, but love is a static thing in some ways. Uh, but to communicate that love, God did so through grace. And so grace is the way He communicates His love to us. It's where the, it's where the theology and affections of love becomes uh, a practical uh, benefit for us through Him giving His Son on our behalf and giving us eternal life absolutely free. So grace is how we understand God. Faith is how we access that grace. Uh, and never cease to be amazed by God's grace. And like Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The more we know about him, 
the more we'll appreciate God's grace. Amen. Well, thanks for thanks for summarizing that at the end. That's uh, really helpful. And uh, I want just want to thank you for being with us uh, on this podcast and for sharing just the wisdom that God has taught you over the years, brother. It's just it's great to interact with you and to hear uh, what you've learned and willing to share with us. And uh, just want to thank you for being with us. Well, I would say it's all by God's grace. Thank you for the invitation. It was great to be with you. All right. God bless. This was a very interesting conversation that we are excited to share with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.